welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. I feel like it's been a long time since we've had a recording session again. Uh, we've got uh, a really, really special guest for you guys today. Uh, obviously, my buddy Rio Verdinier is uh, is here in his house with the uh, the bougies cup. Is that's that wasn't quite as good. Um, and uh, we've got uh, I just described him as the uh, the behind the scenes puppet master uh, for uh, for the show um, is our, our our friend Chet, who actually uh, has been running the Facebook page uh, ever since uh, uh, we realized that uh, uh, you know having uh, uh, drag out arguments in uh, our Facebook page was not uh, the most efficient use of our time. Uh, so uh, our buddy- yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember one guy literally said like, why should I bother to listen to your show if I can just argue with you right here? <laughs> well, and, and see, and those arguments, uh, I, well, neither, I, at the end of the day, I, I think we were calculating that they weren't anywhere near as productive uh, as, so, so, uh, as this. So now they have to uh, just listen to us and shout into the void. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, talk to Chet, who's a communist. So it's like, what? Like, what are you going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what happened was uh, our intern Kyle was the the uh, the first guy I handed the group off to, and he's conservative. So we thought, oh, we better make the other person uh, lefty to balance it out a bit. <laughs> so, and then, like hyper technologically centric lefty, which of course uh, is about as close to my personal heart as you can get. And le- libertarian leaning, which is why I can tolerate him. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> so maybe just just so we have a good jumping off point, uh, Chet. Maybe we should have you describe your your position, so it's not just coming out of you know my face. Sure. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, communism is a spicy word. So uh, maybe maybe I should start by defining it, or at least at least uh, defining it as, as far as I understand. Right. Um, uh, to me, I might take a more um, anthropological approach to communism. So uh, for me, communism would be um, a like a universal concern with uh, human need and uh, the willingness to work to fulfill human need. Uh, so basically, it's, you know, uh, from my ability to, to whatever need that exists, um, Hopefully that's like a, a simpler way of understanding it. Um, it's it's not the way uh, communism would be understood by a, a lot of uh, I don't know historical organizations that did like you know awful things in the name of communism. Right. Because uh, <laughs> there's there's plenty of uh, I don't know plenty of people that have carried that banner that uh, I just uh, frankly just you know committed atrocities um, maybe with good or bad intentions I don't know but. Uh, the uh, the other aspect I, I refer to myself as an anarcho-communist uh, because uh, also it's important to me to uh, be skeptical of authority um, and to always ask authority to justify itself. Um, and you'll find a lot of authority figures in the world uh, don't have great justification for the power they hold. So um, basically, I want to see a world uh, where. Uh, authority is legitimate and uh, human needs are fulfilled to the capacity that we can do that basically according to our technological capacity which at this point we should be able to take care of everyone easily right. right that yeah real go ahead oh yeah okay I, I was going to um i'm just trying to ground everything that you're saying in my own understanding of political science and obviously I, i've spoken to um a number of people who identify as 
anarchists of some stripe. Um, on the right, we deal with a lot of anarcho-capitalists who tend to be people who believe that like the government shouldn't exist at all <laughs> and somehow think that like if the um if human beings all just got along and sang kumbaya we wouldn't need a government um and we could just kind of form these organic groups of people who agree to trade with each other and it would be a comp or i'm sorry a capitalist paradise um that's but not a good plan <laughs> no, no it's not <laughs> and so i guess what i'm asking you is like i mean Obviously, I, um, I mean, a traditional philosophical grounding for the political right is, is a concern about authority. It's about uh, believing in the rule of law is important and everything. But like, the point is that you, you want to decentralize power because power does corrupt people. And when it's decentralized, it's not, it's not um, you know, uh, coalescing too much in one group set of hands. Um, then it's easier to deal with abuses of power, right? And that's something that we're kind of dealing with. I mean, uh, Corey and I were, before we went on the air, we were talking about that uh, um, Biden apparently made some comments about how, oh, yeah, I might not actually cooperate with a subpoena from Congress. Uh, and Fuck uh, me. And I, I just thought, you know, this is what happens when one yep. side gets away with breaking the law then the respect for the rule of the law of rule of law breaks down entirely. So I guess what I'm saying is where, where, where does the role of the rule of law fit into your concept of anarcho-communism or not? And how is your um, skepticism about authority different from mine? Um, or maybe it's not, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's definitely some overlap there. Um, I would say, uh, where your skepticism might end and mine might extend further would be um, questioning whether like, uh, say like uh, Jeff Bezos's power is legitimate. And I think you probably have some critiques of that, um, but I would probably just have a harsher critique uh, as to say like he's, he's not wielding legitimate power. Um, and then, uh, I'm sorry, the first question, I went with the second one first. Oh. Um, Corey, do you remember what I said? Uh, uh, no, but I, I think this, this guys, it's early over here on the web. You're right. I, I think this, this might kind of take us to the same place. What, what I really, you know, generally anytime anyone uses anarcho anything to describe themselves, I'm like, Oh, cool. Go to Somalia. Have fun. Um, you know, like, and that's my, my sort of limited understanding of it. Right. What I really, really, uh, uh glommed onto was in describing what you meant by that you basically said that all power must justify itself. And I really fucking like that, right? Because it's, it's something that we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about, uh, but we should, right? Like that, you know, the, the, the power of any authority over us anywhere on the planet should absolutely have to justify itself. And, and, and you know, this is an argument that, that Rio and I get in all the time, and I think it will continue. Uh, Bezos has an asininely enormous amount of power uh, to control government if he wanted to, uh, to control uh, the media if you wanted to and does, uh, you know, it, 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 that should have to be completely and totally transparent and it should be something that we look at and it should be something that we justify, not just because, you know, he happened to uh, uh, start buying up all the, uh, the competition the second he had a good idea. Yeah. So, you know, I, like I said, I also um, am completely on board with skepticism about authority. Um, I just, I'm just wondering where do you draw the line? Um, 
be, between, uh, you know, I mean, where would you like to see us be somewhere between where we are now and total anarchy? And I guess also in, in defense of Chet and other people who use the term um, anarchism, <clears throat> um, there are political theorists, I'm, and Chet, you can probably tell us about some of them, I'm sure, because you're a very well-read guy, but there are political theorists who use the term anarchism to describe something that isn't like the colloquial meaning of the word anarchy. Um, where my concern with that is I, I feel like if you're going to have a completely new term for something that you need to justify it in this, in, um, intellectually by having it actually represent an ideology that's distinct enough from another ideology. Otherwise, what's the point of having the term? Um, so, you know, for example, classic liberalism is like, through and through highly critical of authority, you know, and that's the reason actually that was kind of the justification of both democracy and capitalism in the modern era. It's the idea that you, you know, you wanted to give maximal freedom and liberty to individual people um, economically and politically so that you didn't have this like um, gigantic government like you need that you do need to have a, a leviathan but like you want it to be tempered by the fact that it's spread out and that, that human beings have power over it collectively um as opposed i mean that i'm sure that's where you would go with you know um anarcho-communism is the idea that you 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 want you know the the authority to come from you know the collective of the society right well how is that different from just classic liberalism Okay. So, and also, I, th I think I remember the the previous question was about uh, rule of law. Impressive. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, it was. You're right. It was about, it was about good old Joe. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to try to uh, keep it all in my head here. But um, I, basically, so something that I think is going to get confused, and like you kind of pointed it out already, is that um, there's a, there's anarchy is, is sort of understood popularly. Or maybe even some of the the imagery of anarchism, especially like the you know like '80s punk imagery, just kind of sound. It looks like chaos. Um, but yeah, well, I, I'm all down for '80s punk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, anarchism really starts uh, with uh, Proudhon, who was a French philosopher, um, and he was actually um, more of a mutualist. I don't know if that word really means too much, but um, it's more, uh, almost more of a market type of anarchism. It's something that I notice a lot of uh, capitalists when they when they start reading about anarchism, they're not so crazy about you know the, the kind of stuff I'm into, but uh, they might read some Proudhon and, and be like, well, th these are actually like reasonable critiques. Like maybe I can take something from this. Um, um, yeah, when, so when you use terms, academic terms like mutualism, can you just define them? So we can't assume that everybody, um, all of our listeners sure. know all of these things. Sure. Um, I, I've not read a ton about mutualism, so I'm probably not the person to represent it. But uh, basically, it's, it is uh, oh, uh, basically a type of anarchism with uh, markets, but they're limited. Um, things like uh, uh, rent, uh, rent seeking, uh, which is sometimes seen illegitimate in just, you know, normal capitalist discourse. Um, like the, the notion of uh, gaining off of uh, your own, uh, basically the ability to gain off of your advantage over others, the, mm -hmm. they want to see that removed from the market so that uh, transactions are, are mutually beneficial. Um, and right, so right. So the, cr the critique would be that um, 
laissez-faire capitalism isn't tr isn't perfectly mutually beneficial exchange. The, the, it is mutually beneficial as long as you know nobody is coerced into cooperating with it by definition because they wouldn't choose to do the exchange if it weren't beneficial to them in some respect, uh, presumably. And since you believe in you know uh, being skeptical of authority, it only makes sense to me to like let individual people decide for themselves what they think is mutually beneficial for them instead of like, you know, some bureaucracy telling them what's mutually, what's beneficial for them. Right. So, right. But, right. So, so, so what, what sorts of things the mutualists want to do in order to make it so that it's more perfectly mutual beneficial as opposed to one person benefiting more than the other. I'm assuming is where that critique would come from. Is that right? Uh, it, you know, to be honest, I can only talk about mutualism so much. Um, it's, it's, not, it's just like an area that I'm, uh, Familiar with in passing, uh, right? But in any case, it's a, it's um, anarchism that um, that that believes in a market and just critiques the the form of the market that we have now. Is that right? Yeah, I, I would say that's a fair summary. So it's kind of like um, Daniel Dennett's compatibilism on free will. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a comparison there. Um, one thing I, I did want to hey look, well, I'm a compatibilist on free will, so you got you 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 piqued my interest already. You, I mean. Uh, what uh, check out uh, Proudhon's "What is Property?" That's that's where the passage uh, "Property is Theft" comes from. Uh, but he also says, I mean, uh, property is liberty, and property is impossible. So uh, he's he's playing with these uh, contradictory ideas of what property is in society in order to tease out like these different roles at play. How continental of him. <laughs> <laughs> um. But one, one thing I did want to say is that uh, anarchism as a political philosophy um, has, you know, a, a history that's uh, well over 150 years old. I'm not sure exactly what the date would be, uh, but it's, it is not about um, sort of chaotic operations in society. Um, it is actually about seeking uh, more order and more organization than we have today um, mm -hmm. so so the anarchists would say like today's society is chaos and we should fix that um, so uh, with regard right to, but like, again I mean it really is bringing me back to what's how is that different from classic liberalism because I mean it sounds to me like there's a lot of overlap which is um, you can see it as an extension it's, it's of hard to justify um, identifying with a different term if it's not truly distinct right i mean i remember i was talking to one um <clears throat> anarchist and and she was saying something like uh well what i really want is i want you know a decentralized like um collection of democracies of local democracies where people vote for local representatives um and i was like isn't that what we have now <laughs> you know so so uh <laughs> One way to illustrate the difference would be kind of where we started uh, with our critique of power, uh, where I'm, I'm probably going to be critical of uh, power structures like, you know, Amazon, uh, whereas that's not really something that I understand uh, classical liberals would necessarily be uh, critical of. Although they no, might not at all. I, so, social liberals, social liberals would, though, but, I'm, but that's actually because they're compromising with people like you. So that's a perfectly valid point. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, like the the difference, um, the difference really is, I think, uh, the role of the state and the sort of ethos behind uh, what what is organizing society. 
So, um, but you do see still see a place for a state. Uh, I mean, in the meantime, there's definitely going to be one. It's there. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a say. It's about like that. that scare me. <laughs> well, no, I mean that's like it, it's 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 not like we have. So, I think this, this is where 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 I I you know like I think and I'm just going to speak for Chad for for a second. You know, in, in our conversations uh, uh, before, I feel like you have a pretty good vision for what a, a, a technological and I, i'm mm-hmm. gonna use the word utopia even though it's gonna make you real mad but like no, the, the 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 no I, I know you'd like it i know rio was oh. like utopias don't exist <laughs> anyway but you know like that kind of idea there, there there is there is a social structure that is going to be available let's say with with uh, uh, sort of post scarcity, uh, uh, you know, decentralized technologies like uh, decentralized power, three uh, D printing, all these different things that are going to allow for a different social order that w- will never, you know, have anything even in common with uh, sort of communist ideas of the past, um, or even you know, like the anarchy the way you know, ignorantly I think I was thinking about it before. But the, like, there there will be the availability for an order that vastly is superior than the shit show that will allow for things like Trump or even a Biden that's like, fuck you, subpoenas. Like 10 minutes after, you know, Jesus Christ, I'm still on that. I'm sorry about that. But that, could you maybe talk about that and how that, you know, the, 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 the way that your vision of what's possible is kind of emergent with the, the, the way that things are going right now? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, and, and this is something I'll, I'll try to dovetail something else in with it because uh, so we do see these trends in technology that are affecting the way our economy works. Um, they're making us question like fundamental things about markets. Like, do people have to earn money? That's a really big question because that was not on the table for, I mean, since, really since civilization started. Uh, <laughs> there's always been a class of people that better work their asses off or else. And yeah. that doesn't necessarily have to exist. Uh, and that's all due to you know advances in technology. Um, one of the other trends, as you pointed out, is uh, the new technology that's emerging is very decentralizing. Uh, so I mean, you have all these uh, decentralized energy sources like uh, solar, you know, wind, wave, whatnot. Um, you also have this emerging uh, Internet of Things, which is like a, a logistical internet. Uh, that's basically going to encompass the Earth and at that point, you're going to see novel outcomes. Like mm-hmm. we're going to find ways of organizing that just didn't exist before. And so when a, when a lot of people uh, want like historical examples of what I'm talking about, I mean, I can point to some, some kitschy things and little efforts in the past, uh, but really we're, humankind is just moving into a new paradigm. And so the rules are just different. And we're, we're going to have to kind of make it up as we go along. And I think a lot of it is going to look uh, very distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who is not really uh, a lefty but has a similar vision is Jeremy Rifkin. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he describes, you know, uh, the emergence of the, the collaborative commons basically eclipsing the market, um, I, I feel like his description is probably more accessible to a lot of people than something I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's got kind of the credentials. He's, he's kind of an establishment person. He's advising heads of state about how to adjust to basically the post-scarcity paradigm that's coming. Uh, right. So uh, 
this is something, uh, this, this was the other part I wanted to tie in, is that uh, post-scarcity is not necessarily uh, a leftist concept. Um, no. I certainly came to it that way. Uh, but there's people all across the spectrum that are interested in talking about post-scarcity. And I, I almost kind of like the Yang campaign, uh, where you, you, it appeals to a lot of people, um, mostly because it's talking about what's real out there. It's not yeah. just a pile of ideological rhetoric. Um, it's the facts that we're dealing with. And so yeah, no. that- could, could I interject for a second? Because yeah. I'm sure <laughs> you're starting to remind me of AJ a little bit. I'm sure you could go on for a whole hour and just monologue. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm worried we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because I, I, I do, I agree like 90% with everything that you say about post-scarcity. And I know that's going to be our common ground. But to be honest, I'm still confused about where we disagree. <laughs> you know? So, um, oh, like, well, in terms of, well, I was about to, I'm, 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 I'm trying to be, um, how do I put this? Um, I'm trying to understand your position myself because as somebody who is not entirely ignorant of the philosophy around anarchism, I just, I generally find continental philosophy unreadable, right? Like try to read Nietzsche and actually understand him. Like it's more like poetry than anything else. You know what I mean? So I just, I really genuinely find it inscrutable. <laughs> um, right. So I'm trying to understand it in, and Corey will appreciate this. I'm trying to ground it in like reality. Right. And so I guess one 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 argument that struck me as really compelling is an anarchist might say, for example, that since we are going through huge technological changes, um, it's really unfortunate that we have a lot of this like heavy bureaucracy of the federal government, especially because that's not particularly decentralized. Um, it's really, it's really, it's really unfortunate that we have all this bureaucracy holding us back because what that means is we're not allowed to just reinvent the rules. Um, and if you come, if it comes to a time where it really is necessary to do that, because we're living in history, right? The, the end of history is, was a, a false, um, hypothesis that's been disproven by Trump getting elected if nothing else. Right. So like you're, you're going, you're going, right. Corey, Corey, are you following all this? Yeah, no, I, no, I am. And I'm, I'm actually the, around the, the bureaucracy I thing. But, and it, straight so, from the horse's mouth. Yeah. I mean, that's, wait, 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 let me finish. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure I see what you did there. So, so basically I'm, try, I'm trying to understand practically anarchism, right? So an anarchist would say like there, you could actually justify, for example, um, and really intentionally throwing a bull in a China shop into the uh, the uh, operations of Washington because we need to kind of break down a lot of this bureaucracy because it's just going to get in the way. It's preventing us. It means that all we can really do is put more Band-Aids on top of Band-Aids. We never really get a chance to, to make the fundamental changes that they want to make. Can I take a stab at it? Yes. Because like that, as, as a... Um... And again, this is just sort of a, a testing theory. Out, Chet, you tell me yeah. if I'm if I'm accurate about this. So, coming at it from a technological point of view, all a bureaucracy is is a collection of if and uh, uh, or if then statements that are run through human beings. The run through human beings thing is the problem, right? You can you can digitize literally every element of a bureaucracy as long as it's on a, a public blockchain that is immutable. Um, you could literally get rid of every single one of those things and digitize it. And that way, anytime we wanted to change any moving part of that, there would not be the human momentum behind it. There would be no sunk cost in just changing a rule that have it percolate out in the entire system, right? So it would create, 
not an infinite amount more order, but at least an order of magnitude or two of more order. And it would also be, you know, instantaneously dynamic as far as any, any time we wanted to make any functional change, you know, we could just do it and there wouldn't be that sort of uh, uh, sunk cost of, of the entire bureaucracy. Itself. Right, let me clarify the human part of it. Yeah, I'm not actually talking about individual bureaucrats. Uh, believe it or not, I'm actually like I, a fan of individual bureaucrats. Like me too. Well, because I like I like experts, you know, and right. I, I think I think that I, I I also believe in gatekeeping, which is which is something that gets me in trouble with, the- with with the right and the left. But I'm just saying that like I I, I think that there's a difference between you know, streamlining the bureaucracy that exists. And the real problem is like, you've got to go in and repeal a bunch of shit, right? You still have to actually clear out the, the, the legislative side of the bureaucracy. I, I'm not even necessarily saying that I, I agree with this argument, but it makes sense to me. It's a practical argument that ha- where, where, where the concept of anarchy actually, you know, um, strikes me as something that is worth thinking about. You know, I, not that I would ever identify as an anarchist, but there is something there. There's something to that. And I, I like the idea of being able to borrow from a variety of different intellectual traditions and take the best from here and the best from there. You Amen. know, kind of like, like Christians do with the Bible. <laughs> except, <laughs> As if except they like, actually did. Except, except, except we're not limiting ourselves. Oh, they totally do. They just don't admit it. We're not limiting ourselves to one book. We're dealing with, you know, the entire intellectual output of the human race and whatever aliens are out there. All right, Chet, which one of us is absolutely correct? <laughs> uh, I don't even know how to sort through all don't, that. Don't answer that. <laughs> don't answer that question. Where, where would um, you, for either one of those perspectives, where would you take it? Uh, oh, geez. Um, so, I, I mean, just generally, uh, the government having less say over uh, how people live. Um, Amen to that. And generally, generally a positive thing. So uh, give, give us an example. Let's, let's, let's just, add, well, you know, like a great, like what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, so, uh, I mean, we're talking about Andrew Yang. So um, a lot of people on the left uh, have a, a big hang up about his, uh, his uh, UBI policy, not stacking on uh, things like food stamps. Um, as someone who's like both had food stamps and also like failed to qualify for them when I needed them uh, to me, like, it makes way more sense to just give people access to cash. Agreed. Um, it, it increases everyone's autonomy and it would have prevented me from having to move, you know, six and a half hour away from my family uh, to where like now I live where I can work. But uh, I mean, like on Christmas break, I drove 13 hours to go see my mom for less than 13 hours. So <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, it, we need uh, autonomy is a deep human need. Um, and this is not just like a political claim. Like I, I would say this, this is in our, uh, it's in our psyche. It's in our biology. Um, we need to uh, feel self-driven. And to me, that's like what uh, the freedom dividend offers people who are struggling. Uh, you put a little more uh, financial freedom in their pocket and they can appreciate that autonomy they can realize it in their own life. Uh, so this is something where like, I don't think people, I mean, there are some instances where cash is not better than some sort of in-kind benefit. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you know, something like food stamps where you go to the store and you can't buy hot food, um, which takes rotisserie chickens off the table, which is like 
a real staple for a lot of people. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're very uh, quick and they can be served in a healthy manner. Yep. Um, so, you know, that's something that uh, if you have food stamps, you're not allowed to buy hot foods. So you're not allowed you mean to buy people struggling with poverty. Can't, they, they're, they're, they, they don't have time and um, psychological energy to just make every single meal from scratch. It's, this Ab is absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. To. This and has been this, one of the most amazing things. You're, you're so right. Jet. It, it's, it's huge. And there's so many different examples of that. Right. Like, so, so uh, the last conversation I had, uh, uh, yeah, I threw something up on, on Facebook about, you know, um, Warren wanted to do the childcare thing and, you know, Bernie had some kind of maybe, well, the federal jobs guarantee, which of course I have opinions about, uh, and Biden of course doesn't give a shit. And, and Andrew Yang is, uh, you know, Hey, let's just give people money. And that turned into this big, huge long conversation. Oh, and it was, it was about, you know, Warren's whole thing about, Hey, we're going to give you daycare so you can work longer hours. Right. And Kelly Smith, who I totally want to have on this show. She is absolutely fantastic. Um, as, as a person is like hired on very early on, uh, got drafted by the Warren campaign to start helping around Pasco County. So she's like, she's in it, right? She's doing this kind of thing. But, you know, that, you know, she basically took a little bit of exception to that. And I'm like, well, I think it was actually a direct quote. And, you know, I'm, I've been a fan of Warren in the past. So I could see where that might not have been, uh, uh, you know, that could have been sort of a PR problem or whatever. But it turns out, no, like that, that, that's what she said. And there's actually other examples of, of how that is going in there. So the whole idea that, you know, as, as Democrats, there's this means testing thing that's like the core or whatever. And, my assessment of it is that we, we've been doing that because I, like, I would have been for that because I'm, there was a zero sum. There's only a certain amount. You have to focus that amount on, on who needs it the most. And yes, there's going to be errors with it and bureaucracy and yada, 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 yada. But we kind of have to do that. Otherwise, it's not going to pass and all these stupid fucking arguments. Here's the thing. The second you have a, a, a paid for, like intelligently paid for freedom dividend that can literally help everyone and there's no bureaucracy around it. It just goes in there or whatever. Solves homelessness. Not all of the way, whatever. But you get the idea, right? It sure as fuck isn't happening now, right? 70% of the people that could be on welfare are not because of the bureaucracy. Food stamps fucking sucks. All of the, like, child care is totally bad. This actually solves every single one of those things. And, and like, it, it does it just by saying, we don't know what your situation is. We don't have to have that layer of if-then statements, saying, hey, if you're in this particular uh, situation and not that one, we can help you. No, 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 we're just going to do it. Right. right. Well, so that, I mean, I guess that's where the, the post-scarcity thing comes in. And you're completely right about the zero-sum th thing as well. Uh, um, something that strike, it occurs to me that we talked a lot about anarchism. We didn't talk much about communism. Um, and I thought your definition of communism was not wrong. <laughs> probably, probably not the one you had. Your head. Well, I mean, no, like, that sounded tortured. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, like theorists, like theorists, like <sighs> to define words by their opposites. Because if you can't define a word's opposite, then it doesn't have a clear enough meaning, right? And so, I I always see it, the tension between communism not really actually being so much with capitalism. And and I guess we should also clarify we use the word capitalism and. The, in like the 21st century colloquial sense, like it's actually a Marxist term. Um, I'm sure Chet knows this. Like uh, it, it was, it was actually invented kind of like the term, the big bang was actually invented to critique free markets. Um, people who uh, advocate for classic liberalism don't tend to don't, or historically didn't, they didn't use the word capitalism um, because it, it, the, the existence of private capital they saw as more of just like an inevitable side effect of giving people what they called economic freedom, 
right? And so I guess like I see the tension not so much between communism and capitalism as more between communism and individualism, right? It's this, it's like, how do you strike a balance between the communal well-being, which is how you defined it, and that is indeed where Marx started, um, and, you know, uh, in individual liberty. And you've struck that balance by throwing in this um, anarchist, I think I, I think the main difference between you and me, Chad, is you're just more comfort- comfortable reading continental philosophers. That's the conclusion. <laughs> that I we might have some like other this, differences. The post, so, like, let's talk about post scarcity a little bit more because I, I I think you're yeah. right that um, the reason I said I agree with it ninety percent is because I don't believe that we're ever going to completely. We're, I don't think we're ever going to be able to completely do away with scarcity. I, and the, the re- the, what, what I'll say about that is I think we're going to do away with 90% of scarcity. I think I, I, and this is actually kind of, it's not utopian, but it is, it's, uh, it's definitely would be a really, really good world, a better world than, the way, than we have now. What I'd like to see is a place where nobody is doing without necessities. And I believe that, that it'll be possible to create enough necessities that there, you have de facto post-scarcity where that's concerned, Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, my, you know, me over here with my bourgeois values, I'm like, okay, but like original Picassos will still be rare and, you know, beachfront property will still be uh, rare. Can I Star Trek something right well, now? Growth Redwoods <laughs> will still be rare. You know what I mean? <laughs> there is only one captain's chair, right? So ultimately <laughs> the Star Trek economy is exactly what you just said, but the thing that has become scarce is leadership positions. Right, so like, like basically erasing all of the necessities as things that would be scarce, but then something else will be scarce, right? Like as human beings, we're going to be valuing different things. And like, that's every time I talk about the Star Trek economy, that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Right, yeah, they're, or like you're still going to compete with each other over like the girl that you want or whatever. Or, right? or like hyper meteor platinum, I don't fucking know. Whatever, whatever is out on the fringe of, of the development of human civilization will have human, the scarcity. Yeah, it's human nature right to be competitive and to covet one another's property right like that's just reality um and so i don't i don't i i i I think that even in a world where everybody's basically or perhaps especially in a world because i'm just thinking about rich friends i know but like they covet each other's property more than anybody you know (laughs) so here's there's a subset post-scarcity world there's still going to be a need for private property and trade that's what I well, it's, you say that. I'm not 100% sure that that's going to end up being true. I think there's a subset of the human species that is exactly the way that you are talking about it. The mistake you're making is assuming that it's everyone. It's just not, right? Like, well, and we're going to need, there's like the, the hyper-aggressive competitors. We need something for you bougie shits to do. I'm cool with that. And hence, hence Starfleet. I mean, I'm not going to have the shit, but I'll come and play guitar on your boat. Like that's, like that's that, you know, <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm taking the analogy. Uh, exactly uh, where I was going to say too far, I, I, but it was I think, perfect. I think, I think actually, I mean, I didn't just say bourgeois values as a joke. I, I mean, I, and I, I know. know Chet knows this is quite literally, right? Because this, this is this is something that modern day Marxists um, talk about constantly is like the difference between like proletariat values and, and bourgeois values. And that, so for from the perspective of a pro, of proletariat values, post scarcity will be 100% true, right? But right. Once you when you get when you get out of having like your basic needs met, right, and and now and now you're going to compete for the luxuries in life. That's where I don't see that disappearing because I I it's right. just inevitable it's, that there will not only will there still be some things that are rare, but the fact that they're rare will make them more valuable. I, like, I, I, we're agreeing. You can produce a bougie yeah. cup, right? Then the original old school bougie cups made by 
made by monkeys will actually be even more desirable. Because We're saying exactly the same like, thing. Yeah, it'll, it'll be like how people collect LPs and pay thousands of dollars for them now. It's not... Right. It's, 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 I, I just don't see that going away. No, it won't, because there's always going to be something. Okay, Chet, break into this <laughs> conversation. Let me, let, me, uh, let me ask this. Um, so, so you're saying um, because of the values I hold, I, I perceive that these problems are going to exist. Um, but where do the values come from? Yeah. So oh, is that a so, question? Yeah, yeah. So I, I can answer it myself if you want. Okay. The, the, please, please do. The, the values come from your, your current context, right? Yeah. And when you create that situation of abundance, you're talking about different people with different values, different psychology. Um, and some of that uh, Yang talks about, you know, he's talked about uh, the scarcity mentality. And that's, that's not just uh, rhetoric. That's, that's psychology. That's... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's real stuff. Some, something I wish Yang would do sometime is like uh, when he's speaking, cite the things he's referencing. Because I think a lot of times people listen to his words and they're like, oh, that sounds nice. And they don't realize he's, he's stating like empirical facts. And, yeah. he's, and he's, he's grounding his argument in reality, um, which is one of the things I, I love about it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think uh, naturally when you have uh, this different environment that... Um, is emerging. I think it's emerging naturally from our economy, from from uh, where we're at in our point in development. Uh, we're going to have different values at that point, and the logic of uh, proprietarianism um, as a strategy makes much less sense in that scenario. Um, maybe there is still uh, people who are like, "Man, I really want to own my car, and I and I don't want anyone else to have it." I don't want anyone else to touch it. It's just the way I like it. You know, maybe that exists. Uh, but most people. No, it definitely does. I'm not well, like. I, can I, let's touch on that. Right. It does. There's going to be a massive difference. So here, here's where that, here, here's where that dichotomy might exist though, right? You're absolutely going to be able to own your own car and have a blah, 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 blah. But it might cost a hundred thousand times more than not owning it. Right. Like, there, there could be, there could be a dramatic disparity between the, the availability and decentralized usage capacity of robot cars that are just roaming the road, right? Like it caught, that could be like five cents a mile as an example or much less. And owning your own car could end up costing five or 10 or $15 a mile uh, as, as, as a comparator. So you're still gonna be able to do it, right? But I mean, you're gonna really, 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 really wanna have to own your own stuff and not let anyone touch it. Well, I, I actually don't think cars are the best example of what we're, we're talking about here. I mean, first of all, like in the 3D printing future with nanobots and everything, your Tesla will be dirt cheap. Like t- the physical object will be cheap. Right. It's, more, it, like, it's yeah. more like a matter of whether or not the bureaucrats let you own a Tesla. That's the part that I'm concerned about. Um, and, but, why, but, why, do you, why do you think that would even be a thing? Well, because he talks about going away with private property. So like who owns, <laughs> like how, like, I mean, what about people who own, 15 houses are they so not allowed to is that did you actually say that though chet are you talking are you talking like did you say we have to make property illegal yeah, he did. So, so well no he didn't say well I mean, that's where i'm wondering Rio, let him talk yes talk <laughs> so, so uh so i think it makes way more sense to go about this the the other way around is to uh, like okay so uh something yang said just to try to make a comparison here something yang said in an interview is they were asking him, oh, are you going to force people, are you going to take away people's gas-powered vehicles? Are you going to force them to go to electric? And he said, no, people are going to go to electric because it's going to be awesome. 
Yeah. And this is how you, you sell people on things is basically you, uh, something Buckminster Fuller said was, uh, you don't fight the existing reality. You create a new reality that outmodes the pre the present one. And then you just win. It's just, well, that's a, that's an excellent point. And I feel like that, right. You just said right there, I want to put a, a pin in that because oh, yeah. to me, that perfectly illustrates the difference between the Bernie Sanders mentality and the Andrew Yang mentality. Bernie Sanders is, is like tilting at windmills and Yang is like saying, Hey dude, it's just a windmill. Chill out. Let's go over here and build this awesome, like techno utopia. Right. But I think like this goes into the healthcare debate, right? Because like the, the healthcare debate is like, yeah. do we, do we mandate? And I'm, I'm, I understand very, very well coming from Canada. Why mandating uh, uh, coverage and getting rid of, uh, of, you know, personal health insurance plans is actually a really good idea. Like I'm for that because I know that it works, right? This is America. Real's going to get all uppity about it. It, but it is possible, like really, really possible, to just prove that it's better, right? You don't have to tell anyone to do it. You don't have to do anything. Yada yada yada. You can just make a private option or public option, sorry. Um, and because you've got national buying power and the insurance companies are going to whine, you can tell them to go fuck themselves, right? You've, you've got the ability to make a collective. Uh, a version of a healthcare plan. I mean, they've done models of it. That's why Medicare, you know, is is ex way cheaper and has better results overall than than the sort of healthcare insurance plan outside of it or whatever. You can make it and do the do the electric car thing, right? You just and make it, this it, so freaking good that everyone's like, why am I not on that? Or even you know, like, and and if you want to own your own car, if you want to have the 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 wealthy bougie version of healthcare. Just keep it fine. Like, we're not going to argue with you anymore. We're well, just going to go Yang, over here and do our, our collectivist thing that has that capacity to scale. Yang explicitly said that in his epic 10-hour-long Q&A thing, right? Like, he was asked about the healthcare. Like, why don't you want to outlaw private insurance? And his answer, I, I personally think, was so damning that it's not possible for an intelligent person to still prefer Sanders's um, version. And this is something I really look forward to talking to AJ about in our, our next barricade because I think I can change his mind about this because he is an intelligent person. But what Yang said was, look, if we, if, we re if, if, if we really believe that our public version of, uh, you know, Medicare for all, if we really believe that that is going to be so superior to the private insurance plans, then it should be able to compete with the private insurance plans. And so allowing the private insurance plans to exist forces the government to actually deliver the goods, right? And because now, and not only that, but it also then, the, the, as the better that the government does with it, the more private insurance companies have to also deliver the goods and they will be forced to lower their own prices in order to compete with the public plan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Next thing you know, consumers have tons of options, all of which are better than any of the options they have now, as opposed to a situation where the government says, like, think about it. If, 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 if uh, let, let's say I was a banker and I was lobbying the government to outlaw all of my competition, you guys would be extremely, like, credulous. Or, like, you, you're not credulous. You'd be extremely skeptical about that, right? Excuse You'd be me. like, so, so that's the same thing. If the government really believes it can do a better job, then yep. it shouldn't have to outlaw the competition. Uh, well, in, in, I think that's the best case scenario that we're going to see in the United States. The lived experience. Better, the Isn't lived it? experience. Hold on. The lived experience of what happened in Canada is that we had this, uh, uh, you know, uh, perfectly functional universal healthcare system, right? Everyone's covered, you know, uh, uh, everyone's doing better. The cost is like a third or less of what it is here, yada, yada, all the stuff we argue. Um, and there is constant talk about having 
what's called a two-tiered system uh, up there, but where you'd basically have uh, uh, wealthier people able to buy their own insurance. The problem with that is they would instantaneously want a tax break on all of that stuff uh, so that suddenly wealthy people are, are, are not having to pay into the system in a progressive way. And that actually would destroy the Canadian system, right? So going from the, 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 the fully collectivist version of the basic care that you get in Canada to having a two-tiered system where it actually have the capacity to kill it, right? So that's why. When they talk about, hold on, when they talk about you know, uh, making private insurance illegal, it's because the way insurance works, you need a, 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 a very specific amount of buy-in from literally everyone to hit critical mass so that it'll actually work, right? So that's, that's, that's why that argument that's exists. Not, and in the case of Canada, it is dead accurate. But well, in, in, as far as the United States is concerned, you know, it's probably not going to be tenable. And this other thing is, is, is testable and very, very likely to work, quite frankly. Like, like I think it's, it's the way Andrew Yang is, is, is doing it um, really does have the capacity to, and to Rio's point, to exceed the level of care in Canada. It's kind so of like, why, why, why do you hate monopolies in the market, which I also do, and then love it when it comes to the government? It's different. It's completely, it's completely different. When you're, well, when you're talking, when you're, listen, when you're talking about it, when you're talking about insurance and a collectivist action, right, it would literally not work because rich people will say, fuck you, I want to do whatever the fuck I want. And they're not paying into the system commensurate to, uh, to how much they're taking out of the system, right? Okay. In, in well, economic I, terms. You know, I actually think it's that just that's different. About, well, I think that's a valid point, but that's Thanks. one of the many, 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 many reasons that Andrew Yang also says that he wants to start transitioning away from funding the government with income taxes. Yeah, well, and, and again, I'm talking about like Canada as a, as a, a thing that already exists, right, right, right. right? Moving in the other direction is problematic. Population's lower. There's a lot of, lot of factors, right? Um, yeah, so right I now, guess that would be the entire insurance industry is a giant trillion dollar momentum of economics. And like that's going to have a massive pushback on anything you decide to do, right? So just trying to make all of that illegal like, like uh, uh, some people want to do, it just would literally never work. It would well, get bogged down in the courts for millennia, and what Andrew Yang is proposing would actually pass and would actually be plausible and put it put into to, to, you know, into practice. Right, and that's the, that's the thing that I tend to say to, to, to Bernie supporters is I say, like, look, you know, um, Sa Sanders, there's nothing stopping Sanders from passing his own bill right now apart from the fact that he can't get enough people to vote for it, right? Yeah. And so Not even I, enough Democrats. He can't. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I understand that Sanders's argument is that he'll use the bully pit of, um, of the uh, um, the bully pulpit. Not the pulpit. Um, to, I do to, think to, we like, should have a bully pit, though, for the record. It just throw them all in there. <laughs> all the bullies. Can, put yeah. Trump and, and uh, Putin and Kim Jong-un. Fucking Matt Gates. I'll throw that fucker in myself. Make them fight, fight to the death with their bare fists. That's the bully. As pit. if anyone could fist fight in that pit at all. They'd all just be crying in a hole. It would be really funny to watch because it would be like they would be forced to be like more manly than they actually are. Hundred percent. This took a turn, and I like it. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> no, but he's going to use the bully pulpit, right, to say like, "Oh, everybody, rise up! We have to stand up to your local congressional representatives." Again, there's nothing he has. He has a megaphone as one of the most famous politicians and beloved politicians in this country. He could do that without being president. And so my my point is like. Andrew Yang would 100% sign Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill as president if Sanders managed to pass it, right? Yep. So there, given that fact and the fact that Sanders actually can vote in the Senate as a senator, he can't as a president, 
doesn't it make more sense if your only reason for preferring Bernie Sanders is that you like to outlaw private insurance? Like, fine. If he manages to actually pass that bill, unlikely considering like he can't even get enough Democrats to vote for it. But if he manages to pass that bill, Andrew Yang will sign it. So what's the problem? Yeah, that's the thing. Like the, with the amount of legacy infrastructure around healthcare in this country, the the public option is the best possible thing that will pass. I think that's just it. It, it you know you can't just convince everyone that that's going to go away. Chet, let's get you in here because we have actually a guest on the show. Like, <laughs> this is what happens when you get reunited together. We'll just we can do this all day. I, I would just say we were kind of talking about just like differences in approach. Um, I, I feel like if, if you can bring the other side along with you, uh, the chances are your solution is going to be much more sustainable. It's actually going to last. Right. Um, because I, I can tell you uh, the ACA from my perspective was a bit of a disaster. Preach. And it literally didn't affect my life at all because I was in a state that didn't expand uh, Medicaid. Um, I couldn't afford to buy in. So I just, I, I still exist without uh, any sort of coverage. Well, and, and it's just penalty. Like you're going to get, you're going to get the, uh, uh, the, the tax penalty anyway. Or yeah, did, I well, think. I think well, I uh, because, because Missouri didn't expand uh, Medicaid, I was exempt from it. Oh, okay. Uh, some people were exempt from it for reasons like that. Um, but, well, that, uh, that's, that's, that's good at least. I mean, here's, not, like, why should, why should they penalize you for not participating in a system they wouldn't let you participate in? Yeah, and here's the other thing. My understanding is uh, if, uh, if Sanders got in and everything went according to plan, um, my understanding is I would still be buying into a public option for years. Yeah, yep. So, so I don't really understand how this discussion became such a big thing. Uh, because the differences don't really seem that that much to me. Um, they they aren't, and that's the thing. Like a, a public option that turned into a purely perfect universal healthcare system is what Yang has in mind. He's just he's just speaking about it in a way where where it becomes so much better that people just choose it. It's the, the exactly the argument you made around the electric car, which is which yeah. is so much more. It's just better. It, it's a thing that we can do, and then we have to keep. Yeah. Uh, keep I can keep an, I can answer it. the question about why it became a big thing. It's because of the curs- personality cult around an individual person, an individual. <laughs> there we go. Right. And they they the only way they can justify telling everybody, no, you must vote for our guy is because they, of these purity tests that they know have no grounding in practical reality whatsoever. I the purity testing. I'm not going to play that at all. No, no, seriously. Because all exactly it is. What, well, no, think about it this way. Like like because I've been they, on they, I've been they, ca- they, I've been called a socialist. I've been called a purity they, testing they, all the things and all like you could render that down to. I had a preference and said it out loud like that's really that's all that is. No, it's not because having a preference for a policy is 100% reasonable. But saying, but saying like you can't vote for a candidate unless, unless I agree with, unless all of their policies are like completely meet this, this purity test. That's silly because as you said, Yang's version is more likely to pass. And what's wrong with putting, what's wrong with putting your money where your mouth is, right? If you really believe that the public option is going to be so much better then let it compete with the private market and like insurance companies that don't dramatically improve the quality of care and the, and dramatically lower the cost of their services will go out of business. And that's exactly what Yang says. And his version could actually happen. Right. That's the biggest, that's that's the biggest purity test is it's like, okay, like you say you want to go to Mars, but what about those of us who, you know, want, you know, want to go to Saturn? It's like, okay, well you got to pass Mars to get to Saturn. You guys, (laughs) right. 
It's true. I like that example. It's good. It's good. He, he knows how to get Corey on side with an argument. Just put Mars in the sentence. So, uh, here's, here's what's really sad. It fucking works. Like that's, that's that I am on board now. Chet, unfortunately, we're out of time, so we're obviously going to have you on again. But any, any final words you want to say before? I feel like uh, we barely got started. Sorry, yeah. any final words? Yeah, we've got other people booked today, unfortunately. I, I will say that, uh, quickly, um, one of the, the big differences I see between uh, Yang and Bernie is just his skill with uh, framing. Um, and someone who I've, I've gotten into recently is the linguist uh, George Lakoff, who talks a great deal about uh, framing in politics. and politics. To me, I feel like whenever I'm reading Lakoff, I'm like, none of the other Democratic candidates have read this. Like, Yang clearly understands what's going on here. I think his brother's a psychologist, so he probably has some help with this stuff. But, uh, but no, it, it's, it's the framing. It's the way you come at it. You really want to bring people along with you because, you know, when you, when you start excluding people and pushing them down, uh, they, they go into dark places and they do things like elect Trump. So, yeah. so we, we want to... We want to diffuse that bomb instead of, uh, you know, agitating it, trying to set it off. Uh, I, ultimately, like my, my own goal uh, with pursuing, you know, economic abundance and, and post-scarcity, really, I want to see uh, maximal social well-being. Uh, and that includes like each of the participants. This was something that came up, but we didn't really get to touch on it. I'll try to do this real quick. Uh, but I, I believe that... Uh, individual well-being can only be at its peak whenever you're in a healthy society and vice versa. Healthy societies require individuals who are also healthy. So these, these two things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they, they have a synergy between them. And you get the biggest gains whenever it's all working at the same time. Uh, but anyways, I can, I can see uh, I'm not the only one on the call here, so I'll try to uh, wrap it up. Um, a project that I'm working on, I definitely wanted to plug. Uh, gamers for basic income. Uh, we have a Facebook page. We have a Facebook group. Uh, basically, just trying to organize people to uh, discuss basic income, discuss uh, the way we can spread the messaging. Uh, I think online multiplayer games are actually they give us the opportunity to express this on a global level. So, uh, and you might be able to reach uh, literally billions of people. So. Uh, Starting very small, very humble. I think we have like maybe 600 likes on the page, maybe 100 people in the group. Um, but hopefully uh, that has some sort of impact on advancing uh, basic income around the world. Love it. Totally. All right. You want to say the I thing? Would, so, yeah. Do you want to say the thing, chat? Uh, uh, John Yang is a taco. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Yang is our motherfucking taco. Nailed it. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing this to you, and we're so excited about the uh, the awesome community, the Yang Gang that's growing up around the candidacy uh, of Andrew Yang. Uh, if you could please tag us on Twitter with the hashtag Moving Forward Pod and uh, find and join the Moving Forward Podcast uh, group on Facebook. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. I think Yang's campaign song is Return of the Mac. Like, you're not going to get this kind of content anywhere else.
pure unadulterated insanity uh, with uh, some 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 truly revelatory uh, uh, um, you know comments like that. Anyway, uh, good to see you, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were saying that it's. I mean, I guess it's about going from the negative to the positive in the context of a cheating girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Campaign songs are weird. <laughs> that's that's where we landed. Well, and yeah, because uh, I have to agree. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah, that's our platinum-plated punditry for you. Campaign songs are weird. <laughs> platinum-plated punditry needs to be yeah. on a T-shirt. That's uh, that's that's legit. Nobody else is covering these angles. No, they just. <laughs> where else are you going to find this? You're just not going to find it anywhere. <laughs>